Hey, thanks for tuning in to the First Monroe podcast. For more information on our church, visit firstmonroe.com. We hope you enjoy. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn or click to Genesis chapter 1. Turn or click to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to give you the main idea up front, and it's something that we actually saw a couple weeks ago uh, when we jumped in the beginning chapters of Genesis, and I'll say it again because it'll be the same main idea this morning, that's this, that the opening chapter of the Bible reveals the foundation of who God is. So this is kind of the main idea that we see coming out of the first chapter of Genesis, is that the opening chapter of the Bible reveals the foundation of who God is. This is where we start when we start with Scripture. We don't start with us and who we are. We start with, first and foremost, who God is, because this is where the Bible starts. So the first week we saw this, that God is the creator of all things. Everything that is originated, everything we see and don't see, was created through Him. And so we saw this truth about God, that this is one of the things that's revealed in the beginning chapters, that God is the creator of all things. So I want to turn my attention this morning to look at another aspect of who God is, but I want to start with a question. And just to preface you this, uh, this will be a difficult conversation this morning, but that's okay. Here's a question that I want to ask, and I just want you to think about it. I don't want you to answer it out loud. I just want you to think of this question. The question is this. Is God evil? Is God evil? It's kind of a heavy question for us this morning, right? Right? Now, I hope you see this by the end of the message is that we will answer this with a resounding no. But the problem of evil is one of the number one problems that people arise to disprove the existence of God. This has been going on not just recently. This has been going on for centuries that this is one of the main problems that people have with God. Even this morning, if you are a believer or if you are a skeptic or if you don't believe in God, uh, maybe this is a question that you have thought about, but it is this humongous question of what, what do we do with evil? So, so here's, if I can kind of sum it up, here is what the, and this is obviously very simplistic over centuries and centuries of argument, but basically here is in a sense what people ask. If God is real and perfectly good and all-powerful, then how in the world can evil exist? If God is truly real, if He's perfectly good, and He's powerful, all-powerful, how does evil still exist? It's a good question, right? When we looked at God as the Creator, we saw these things played out, that God is all-powerful. I mean, to think about this, that literally everything in the universe happened because He just spoke it into existence. Talk about power. I mean, merely just speaking and the stars bursted forth, the sun bursted forth. I mean, everything that you and I know and see, oxygen, I mean, everything happened in an instant just by Him speaking. God is all-powerful. We saw that in this idea that God is the Creator. We also saw that He's perfectly good. One of the things that you'll notice, if you, if you remember back, I know you, you and I have slept since then, but in the account of Genesis and the creation, when we looked at God as the Creator, there's this phrase that He uses over and over again, Behold, it was good. Behold, it was good. And he says this at the end of chapter 1, that God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. We we established this, that God creates everything that he creates is good because he is good. 
but you still have evil. So what do you do with that? Here's how the premise goes. If God is all-powerful, he would have the ability to prevent evil. If God were all good, he would have the desire to prevent evil. Conclusion, if God were both all-powerful and all-good, there would be no evil. But there is evil. So atheists and people would run to, this proves that either there is no God or that he's not all-good and not all-powerful. There's a rub there, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but to really to process and to think through evil and where it came from and how did it originate and all these different questions. Uh, you know this about me. I like questions, and so I, I probably stumble myself into these things because I like to ask these questions. Now, let me just say this for, if you're asking this. At First Monroe, we do not fear questions, okay? There are many people that are difficult questions that they have, and they say, well, we don't want to ask them. Not here. We want to ask difficult questions because we believe this, that God's big enough for our questions, and God, through His Word, is sufficient enough for us to address those questions. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look in Genesis, and we're also going to pull in other scriptures, and hopefully you see the bigness of who God is as we deal with this very delicate problem, the problem of evil. So if you have your Bibles, I want us to read Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read Genesis verse 1 through 2. And then we'll jump into some questions and points this morning. So here's how it says. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We have the creation and the beginning of the creation of everything that you and I know. Here's how it'll go this morning. I will ask a question. We will look at this question, and then hopefully I will give you several things this morning that as we think through evil, that we can be able to help process this through God's Word and through His Spirit. But let me just mention this to you just as a side note, and I want you to write these down. This technically is not a point within my sermon, but yet it is a point, okay? And here's what I want you to remember, because as we come to these questions about God, as we come to thinking about God and these very deep things about who God is, here's what has to happen for all of us. Whether you're a believer or whether you're in here and you're a skeptic and you have no clue about God, is that you and I have to have this attitude of humility when we come to these kind of questions. Because these are very big questions, they're difficult questions, but you and I need to have a sense of humility as we address these questions. So let me give you two things I want you to write down to think about as we deal with this, but not just this, anything in Scripture. Number one is this. God is not like you. As we deal with these things, we have to remember this truth that God is not like you. It says this in Psalm 50, verse 21. It says, These things you have done, this is God speaking, He says, These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay charges before you. He says, here's the problem, is that you thought that I was like you. And this is one of the things that we have to understand. God is not like us. Now, we'll see this next week when we look at the image of God. We are created in the image of God, but to, but to say this, God is not like us. So we cannot think through our finite brain, the infinite, and to think that we can compare ourselves to God. God actually says this in Isaiah, if you remember, this is a famous verse, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts higher than yours. So we need to remember this as we come to these difficult things and to address God, to remember this, that God is not like us. Secondly is this, and this kind of, if you have difficulty with authority, then this may cause some concern. 
But number two, as we have to remember this, is who are we to question God? At the end of the day, who are we to question God? There's a guy that actually did this. Actually, his buddies in him did this. If you go to the book of Job, you will see this. There was lots of questions asked of God. And God actually answers them. He actually answers them. Don't you love this? A question with a question. Don't you love when someone answers you? When you ask a question, they just ask another question back to you. But God begins to question Job because Job seems to be asking these and a lot of these really deep questions about suffering and evil and all these kind of things. Now I want you to listen to what God says to Job. It says, Then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and says, Who is this who darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man and I will question you and make it known to you. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or where its base sunk in? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Then in Job 40, it continues and says, And Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I have laid my hand over my mouth and I have spoken once and you will not answer twice and I will not proceed further. But then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that I may that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God that can thunder with the voice like his who can adorn himself with majesty and dignity, clothe himself in glory and in splendor? Think about that account. He's questioning. God says, who are you to darken my doors to answer these questions? If you want to ask questions, let's start with some questions. Where were you when I founded everything? The question is, he wasn't there. He says, can you adorn yourself with glory and majesty and splendor? I didn't think so. And so in a sense, what he's trying to prove to Job is not that we can't come to God with questions, but at the end of the day, we need to understand who are we to come before God to put him on trial? Well, none of us are in the place to put God on trial. So we need to just settle that. So so here's why I say this. As we come to the problems of evil, we come to address these difficult questions. We have to come with a sense of humility. God is not like us. Who am I to question God and to, and to come before him to accuse him of anything? And so as we deal with these questions, not just this one, but obviously any question with God, is we need to come with this spirit of humility as we come before him. So here's the big question that I want to ask this morning, and hopefully we'll look at it, and it's this question. Where did evil come from? It, it came somewhere, but where did it come from? When we look in the text, well, you may be saying this to me, You may be saying, James, why are you dealing with evil now? We're just in chapter 1. If you know your Bible at any length, says James, you know, we still got to get to chapter 2. Then we get to chapter 3, and then we see the fall. We see uh, sin and rebellion against God. But one of the things that we need to understand is that when we get to chapter 3, this is not the first sin and first rebellion against God. It is... For, the, for humans, but this is not the first rebellion that we see against God taking place in chapter 3. Why? Because what do you see in chapter 3? The, ser- the serpent is already there. So what that means is, is that Satan has already fallen, and so there's already been a rebellion that's taking place in heaven. And so one of the things that we need to look at first is before we get to 3, we'll get to 3, 
But there is something that took place between chapter 1 and chapter 3 that took place, and we see the fall of Satan. Great topic to look at this morning, right? Look back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Look, I've read a lot lot of books the past couple weeks. And one of the things that there is split on is when did this actually happen? Uh, Some people, obviously it had to have happened before the fall. But there's a lot of scholars that believe it actually took place in chapter chapter 1, verse 2. Look what it says. It says, The earth was out without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. It, It describes this kind of like a chaos. And that's what, when you look in the Hebrew and look at these different words, it it makes this kind of, it it resembles this type of chaos. It it speaks of darkness. And there's some people that assume is that in this tiny verse, there is the fall of Lucifer or Satan, and he fell and rebelled against God in this. Now, I I don't want to say this with just supreme confidence that it took place immediately in this moment, but what we know is that it happened and it took place. There's two accounts in Scripture. It doesn't tell us when this happened, but it does tell us what happened. And it's in Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14. So I think we'll actually have it on the screen for you. And I want us to read in Ezekiel chapter 28 to get a sense of what took place in the beginning and when the fall of Lucifer or Satan took place. It says this in Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 12. It says, you talking to Lucifer, Satan, you were the signet of perfection. You were full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God, and every precious stone was your covering. Sardis and topaz and diamonds and beryl and ox and jaspers and sapphires and emeralds and carbuncles and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On that day you were created and they were prepared. You were the anointed garden cherub. I placed you and you were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways and from the days of you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, and in the midst of the stones of fire, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground and exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. In the multitude of your iniquity and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuary. So I brought fire out from your midst and it consumed you. I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. And all who know you among the peoples were appalled at you. And you have become a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. In this Ezekiel 28, it kind of lays out this foundation of the fall of Lucifer, of Satan. Now, one of the things we need to remember about Satan and Lucifer is that he is a created being, meaning this. It's not like two exact same forces. You have God and you have Satan and they just battle it out. It's God and no one else, right? So it's not like these two humongous opposing things. It's God and he rules over all things. Satan is merely something that was created. And so it's not something equal force to God. It's something that was merely created. It says it's this guardian cherub that was created. And something happened. We're not really sure what happened. It was The text says very clearly that you were blameless in your ways. The days that you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. God created Satan or Lucifer perfect and blameless, but something happened. Isaiah 14 says this, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. 
above the stars of God, and I will set my throne on high, and I will sit on the mountain of the assembly in the far reaches of the north, and I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the Most High. Something happened, and Satan became very prideful to think that he could rise above God and become God himself. We're not really sure everything that took place. You're kind of having to piece a lot of this together, but in Revelation 12, it tells us that Satan was then thrown down to earth, and the third of the angels that rebelled with him. Me being a question guy, I got a lot of questions. And you may have some questions as well. Here's one of my questions. How can an unrighteous choice arise from a being who's righteous? Have you ever thought about that? Some of you may have never thought about that before. That's cool. He was perfect. How in the world did he begin to rebel against God and have unrighteousness in him when he was created perfect? I don't know. I know I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to have that answer right for you. I've been to seminary. I don't know. I have another question to follow that one up. Is it not only why would an unright or how could an unrighteous choice arise, but why would he want to? He was in perfection. He was perfect. And was in the full splendor of God. Why in the world would he want to rebel against that? I have no clue. It's a mystery to me. One of the things that comforts me a little bit, just a a slight bit, is that in this, this has been something that people have studied, theologians and some of the brightest, smartest minds in Christian history all throughout history. And most of them on this have a big I don't know, which I'm thankful for that for me because as I studied this, I I wrestle with this same question. You know, I'm going to just air out all my questions. You know the question I have about this as well? Since God is sovereign over all things, all things are under Him. God knew that this would happen. Why did he create Satan then? Like if God knew that this was going to happen, why did he create Lucifer? I don't know. I know that's not helpful for anybody. I'm just like, man, you're just raising questions and doubts in my mind. Me too, right? I don't know. Like, I, I've been wrestling with uh, these past two weeks. Maybe that's why I got the stomach bug, because I've just been wrestling with all of these things and just processing this because it's, it's this. Because here, and I want to say, you're like, well, it doesn't matter. It does matter because this is one of the things that people run to to disprove God. This is one of the things that people wrestle with on, on a given basis because it's just like, how do we handle this? But let me just, if I can bring it over just from like a theological thinking of at the beginning of time, if I can bring it over into our realm, because I think we have the same questions about evil, right? There's probably a good chance that evil has probably happened to you before. And what do we do when we face and encounter evil? I remember this happened a year or two ago in my family. I'm not going to give names of family just for privacy reasons or go into detail. But basically ended up coming to find out in our family that uh, husband, wife, our cousins, um, basically the dad had been molesting the daughter for years. And all of a sudden one day we get a phone call to find out 
that this guy that we had known, been in our home, been on vacation with before, had been for these years, had been molesting his daughter. What do you do with that? You know what I mean? I mean, what do we do with that? Because, you know, it's one thing to talk about it in like a theological realm. It's another thing to realize that like we know what evil is. I mean, you can turn on the TV and you see it. Maybe even you in your own life, maybe it's personally to you or maybe in a part of your family or friends that you have seen or experienced something similar to this of that evil has happened to you. How do we as believers, like how do we walk through this? How do we navigate through this? Because it's, it's hard to think through. It's like, God, like I know you're big enough and you're strong enough. But as we think through, it's like, but yet there's still evil present here. How do we work through that? How do we sort through that? And so uh, let me just say this. I don't have every answer in the book because I, there's still a lot of questions I have in my mind. But there are a few things that I know for a certain that we find throughout Scripture that can help you and I as we think toward the idea of evil and how as believers we are to look at God, approach God, and even when evil happens to us in our own life, how we are to process it as believers through Scripture. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you several things this morning. And my prayer is that you would see how good God is and you would see as evil has happened in in our life, to your life, or if it will, how we as believers are to, because of who God is, address those things in our life. So I want to give you a few of these things. Number one is this. God is not evil, nor does evil. This is one of the things that we have to establish up front, and the Bible is very clear on this. There's some things that I have questions about. This is one of the things that leaves no question in any of our minds. God is not evil, nor does he do evil. I want to give you several scriptures just so you can see this. James 1, 13 through 15 says this. James says this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. But each person, when he's tempted, is lured and enticed by his own desires. When desire has conceived and gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. This Very clearly, James says this. Evil is not in him, nor does he lead people into evil. 1 John 1.5 says this. This is the message that you have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness. Psalms 5 says this. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness and evil does not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. And the Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. Very clearly says this. He does not delight in wickedness, nor does evil dwell within him. Psalm 92 verse 15. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. So very clearly what we see, and even in Genesis, as he creates things that are good because he is good. Psalm 34 says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Over and over again, the scripture constantly reminds us of who God is. He is not evil, nor does he do evil. He is a God that is good and perfectly good. So anytime as we process, we come to this This, we come with things that have happened within our life. We have to be reminded of this humongous truth that God is not evil. He does not result in evil. And God is perfectly good. But I also know this, just to be real. When things that are evil happen, it's hard to hold fast to that, isn't it? In the instance of my family, when we found out this whole thing that had been going on, 
Usually the first response is anger. Of how in the world can this happen? And it's hard to, to be reminded in those moments that God is good. Because if I can speak frankly, because in those moments sometimes God does not feel good. He is good. And I know that foundational truth about Him. But there are moments and times where it doesn't feel like that. Now obviously that's why I trust Scripture and not my feeling. But it's in those moments where it's hard to wrestle with those things because you're like, well, I, like I know that you're good, but why did these things happen? And so we need to be reminded of the second truth. And number two is this, that God is both able to use and redeem evil for His plan and His purposes. How? I have no clue. But God is somehow able to use that which is evil and bring about His goodness and His purposes and His plan in the world and in our life. There's two examples we see from this in Scripture. Number one, we see this from the life of Joseph. If you, if you don't, are not familiar with the life of Joseph, you can look at us in Genesis chapter 37 through 50, and it walks through the whole story of Joseph. I'll just kind of sum it up. It's a really crazy story. Joseph uh, basically has these dreams that he's going to one day rule over his brothers and his parents. Not the best thing to tell your older brothers that one day you're going to rule over them and they're going to submit to you. And just practical advice, I wouldn't say that to your older brothers. They get very mad. The dad says that he's his favorite. And so basically the guy's are like, hey, let's just kill this dude. Let's kill this little not cool guy and let's just kill him and let's just get him out of here. Well, they said, well, that's, that, that, we don't want to kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. Better idea. Let's make some profit on it. So they sell him into slavery. Now, as we process through, I mean, that was not good. He was most likely beaten and tortured in slavery. He ends up at Potiphar's house. God's favor arises. He rises up in the ranks. Then Potiphar's wife tries to sleep with him. That doesn't work out. She lies. He goes back to jail, stays in there for a long time. Then he interprets some dreams for Pharaoh. And then God's favor again rises him up to second in command to Pharaoh. After all this, the brothers and his dad and all of them come back. He ends up saving his family. But there's this whole question looming the entire time of, is he going to forgive his brothers? And his brothers are also scared at the same time, if when our dad dies, he's going to get revenge on us. And so here's what it says in Genesis 50. It says, say to Joseph, this is his brothers, say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him, and his brothers came, and they fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But then Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? And I want you to listen to what Joseph says. He says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Isn't that interesting? That Joseph gives this perspective on kind of our human perspective, and he says, what you did was evil. He didn't, he didn't say it was like kind of evil. He says, what you did was evil, but here's he Then he gives this God perspective. He says, but however, God was able to use the evil that you did to me to work about his plan and his purposes for good, not only in my life, but for yours. They were saved because of the plan and work that God was doing in and through Joseph's life. So here's what he's saying is that God is able to redeem evil done to you and somehow work it out so that it works for his plans and his purposes for your life. It echoes Romans 8, 28. For we know that those who love God, all things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purposes. It's this truth about God that God is able to use even that which is evil 
And somehow he's able to use it and work it into something that's good. Something that actually works for his plan and his purposes for your life. And not only for your life, but for others. This is one of the, let me just say this in your life. If you've ever had anything evil done to you. Man, what an amazing truth. That even though it hurts and it's the most horrendous thing to walk through. Yet God in his goodness is still able to use evil and somehow bring about good from it. How he does that, I don't know. I just know that he does that. That he's able to bring evil things that have come into our life and he's able to turn them and now work them for his plan for our life and for others. But more clearly, we don't just see it in Joseph's life. We see it in Jesus. Because I think this is a lot of times what people have this question of, well, God has no clue. God can't understand. How can God understand evil? Very clearly because of Jesus. Jesus is the answer to evil. If you want to say, hey, ultimately, and I don't want to be the Sunday school guy with the Sunday school answer, but what is the answer to God's the problem of evil? And it's Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Jesus endured hunger, fatigue, betrayal, ridicule, rejection, and suffered and died. I love when an author said this. God in the person of Jesus became the victim of evil so that he might become the victor of evil. Isn't that crazy that God subjected his son to evil in order to redeem us and redeem evil and ultimately overcome evil? Like to think about the cross, the bigness of the cross, to think about that Jesus Christ suffered at the hands of evil men in order to redeem us from evil. Like this is one of the most beautiful pictures that we have in Scripture to remind us, well, the problem of evil, what is God going to do about it? He already has done something about it, and it's in the person of Jesus. Think about this. He became the victim so that you and I could have victory over evil in our life, so that he could redeem evil and so that he could ultimately one day overcome evil. God is able in his goodness and in his power. He's able to somehow use and redeem evil for his plan and his purposes in our life and also in the world. But last one, number three, is this. Is that God will one day get rid of evil and sin completely. One day, God will get rid of evil and sin completely. Because of Jesus Christ's death on the cross, because of his bodily resurrection and his overcoming of sin and death and evil, one day God will one day get rid of it all. Revelation tells us very clearly that one day God will cast into the lake of fire Satan and all those who've rebelled against him, and they will suffer for all eternity. Their judgment has already been pronounced. But then what he says in Revelation chapter 21 should for all of us give us great comfort. And here's what he says in Revelation 21. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away and he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Like, that's the hope that we all have. One day, soon and very soon, God will get rid of evil and sin completely. 
and it will be no more. Why is there evil? I don't know. I feel like that's the whole sermon as I was working on it. That's like the constant question and the constant answer I kept getting. I don't know. But I know who God is. I know that he's good. No evil comes from him. He's perfectly good. He's perfectly powerful. I know that God already has an answer for evil and it's in the person of Jesus. I know that God is able to redeem and work through all of the junk and evil that happens within our life and he's able to somehow bring about good in his plan and his purposes and to know that there is a plan in place and that one day it will be no more. For us as believers, we should take amazing great comfort, even though not every question that I have is answered, to know this, that God has already answered me, that God has already given me a sufficient answer in who he is and in scripture so that as I walk through life, even though life is difficult, even though there's evil things that happen within this world, this sinful and fallen world, that God has an answer for it. And aren't you glad you serve a God that, that deals with this? To serve a God that knows it. God is not in heaven uh, just unaware. He himself entered this world and became a human, became a baby, and endured evil, understands it, has experienced it to himself so that he could redeem you and redeem us and one day get rid of sin completely and evil completely. Man, this morning... My prayer has been that even as we deal with difficult things, that through it, the light, the glory of God would shine through it and that we would see very clearly who he is and that because of who he is, it begins to help us and aid us and be the strength and hope as we deal with things in our life and so that we know that God has already accomplished it. Let's pray. God, you know all all week and last week, God, you know I've asked a lot of questions. God, I, I know even in this room, God, I know that there are things that have happened to people within this room. That God, they've experienced evil up close and personal. They've seen it up close and personal. Whether it's to them personally, whether it's to their family or friends. And God, I thank you you have an answer God you don't leave us God you didn't just leave us to ourselves. God I'm thankful that Jesus was not an afterthought but that you God's sending of your son was a forethought that God you knew this would all happen and that God you provided a way and an answer with evil with sin and it's your son God, I pray for anybody in this room um, this morning that God may be struggling. God, maybe they've struggled with this question of evil. God, maybe they've come into this place and they're skeptical about you. And they've had a lot of difficult questions. God, I pray in your bigness. God, I pray that you would meet them right where they are in their doubt or in their, um, in their questions. And God, reveal yourself of who you are. God, I thank you that we serve a God like you. 
God that's big and powerful and good and loving and gracious. God, I pray as we respond this morning, that God, I pray that we would humbly come to you, submit ourselves to you, and that God, you'd help us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come this morning to our time of invitation. Let me just say this. For some of you, I may have like given you like 50 million questions. You're like, I didn't even thought about that, but now I am. Thanks, James, for making me think about all these questions. I want to say this. Obviously, in a sermon, you can't touch literally everything. Um, there's volumes and volumes of things on this subject that I've read. And there's tons more volumes I even don't even know they exist. If you're this morning and maybe it's you have a friend, maybe it's you that's just skeptical about God. Maybe you've had questions about those things. I want you to know we welcome that. And if you want to dialogue about that afterward, I'd love to talk with you. My office this week is going to be open. You may say, well, James, you just, I have a whole lot of questions now. We can come see me in my office. We can talk. I, I want to work with through as we have questions. I hope this morning, though, you've seen about the bigness of who God is. And I think that should respond in, in a couple of things. One, it should respond to, if you don't know this God, this provided for each and every one of you a way to salvation through the person of Jesus. My prayer is that you would know Jesus. Like earlier when we were singing uh, how deep the Father's love and singing about Jesus being on the cross and bearing our sins, like I just had tears just welling up in my eyes to think of the great lengths that God went to to redeem you and save you, to provide for you a way of salvation, to pay the debt you could not pay. If you do not know that this morning, I will be down here at the... Uh, as we sing at the end of the service, we'll have uh, people in the connection room. If you would like to talk, please do that. For you this morning, it could be maybe this morning was a, as you pray, uh, as you think through this, maybe it was hopefully an encouragement for you this morning. Because maybe you've walked through difficult things. Maybe it's been this thing of, well, God doesn't understand, or how could this happen to me? And to be reminded of what God is able to do, how God's able to work through all things for His glory and His good. It causes us to worship Him. So this morning as we sing, whatever your response is, I pray that you would listen to the Spirit, you would respond that way, and He would receive our worship this morning. This time you can stand.